Hear now the word of the Lord, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then verse 13. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. He goes on in the next verses to say, but you've done all this, and so I bring all this judgment upon your kingdom, in particular on your household. But what I want to skip ahead to is verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. May the Lord bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the living of his holy word. Well, you know the, the, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. We often refer to its, we defer to its tune when I don't know the tune well for a Psalter Psalm. Common meter allows for that. But you know the song Amazing Grace. And one of the, the favorite and well-known lines is this. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus did many works healing physical blindness as a testimony pointing particularly to spiritual blindness. I was blind, but now I see and we need the Lord Jesus to open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law. To open our eyes on the road to Emmaus to see it as Jesus walking with us, breaking bread with us. I was blind, but now I see is testifying to a work of Jesus Christ. He shows himself to us. And he shows also ourselves relating to him. Otherwise, we would not see. We would remain blind to him, but also we would remain blind to what draws us to him. For grace and mercy, we would remain blind to our sin. Our sinful heart and our sins that come out of them. There is a danger of being blind to our own sins and a need for God to show and save us from them. That's what we're going to focus on with our scripture today. Uh, and in particular, verses 5 through 7. There's a danger of being blind to our own sins and our sinful heart. And there is a need, therefore, for God to show us our sins and save us from them. 
And so, beloved, by the grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit of Christ, always be examining yourself and your Savior. And that is the message for you this morning from the text. Always be examining yourself and your Savior. As we have some visitors, let me explain. My preaching professor trained me. There's one point to a sermon. You ought to be able to say, Pastor, what's your point? And there's one point. So while I'll be giving you a couple of moves that people might confuse for points of a sermon. I have two today. They're leading to this one point. And the point of that is that you would get it screwed into your skull and take it with you. You won't remember everything. You won't remember a lot. But what I want you to remember today is always be examining yourself. You got that part? The second part is this. Always be examining your Savior in relation to yourself. Always be examining yourself and your Savior. First of all, beware of your blindness to your own sins. That's the first part that we look at today. Two things. First thing is, beware of your blindness to your own sins. And if you would say, well, I'm not blind to my own sins. Well, you've just proven you're blind. <laughs> At least to the issues of pride and humility, right? And maybe be able to see reality. Beware of your blindness to your own sins. David is confronted elsewhere in the scriptures, this time by a woman. Later, uh, first, uh, excuse me, earlier, 1 Samuel chapter 25, we won't turn there. Verses 26 and 34 is what I want to highlight. Abigail. Who later becomes David's wife because of what she's like. Abigail confronts David and David's proud anger made him blind to the sin he was about to commit, murdering many. He was about to kill all of Nabal's men. He was about to do this horrible thing. He was blind in his anger and his rage. And it was Abigail, just like Nathan, that brought him to his senses to see what he wasn't seeing about himself. What he wasn't seeing about the sins that he was about to do, he was just blind to it. He couldn't see it, couldn't look at himself. Look at verses 5 and 7 of our text, 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'd like to look at verses 5 and 7. This is what we're honing in on today. This reality of David before and after being confronted of his sins. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Whoa. Here's what I want to recognize in the text today as a warning for you and me. David is furious at the man in the story. Now, children, we like stories. What's the story? Nathan the prophet is sent by God to David. There's this guy. He's got one sheep. He loves this little sheep like a puppy. Sleeps with him. He feeds him. He takes care of him. It's the only thing he has. But then there's this other guy that has a whole bunch of sheep, and yet he steals the sheep and uses and kills that sheep to fill his friend and David's like, that's horrible. I can't believe he did that to that man. He shouldn't have taken that sheep. He's getting all mad and angry, but what doesn't he recognize? The story from the prophet is to draw his attention to himself. Thou art the man, David. But what did he say? That guy's got to die. You want to think about what you're saying? He's got to pay fourfold. Not my kingdom. You're the king of your kingdom. And you are the man. 
But what I want to recognize, until Nathan says, thou art the man, David doesn't even understand this. Unless he's faking it, we don't know from Scripture. You know, sometimes when people are confronted, they, oh, that's horrible. They try, hoping that you're not going to bring it home to them, right? You know, maybe that's it. But I, I think he just doesn't recognize. He's been hiding his sin. He's been getting callous about it. He's been getting good at it. And he doesn't even recognize that clearly this is a, this is a story about him. This is a biography about him. And he's not recognizing this. Which is kind of amazing. I think we recognize it as we're reading it. Now, of course, we have the benefit of having the whole scriptures in Psalm 51. But I think we see what's coming. He doesn't see this. That's the first thing to watch out for in our own hearts. David is furious at the man in the story. But he is clueless that the story is about him. Until Nathan spells it out for him or gives him, if you will, the rest of the story or the application of the story. It's you, David. Recognize until that point, David doesn't recognize this is about him. Beloved, here's the thing. Our sins that are obvious to others, we are often clueless about it could be because of denial. It could be because we've just been doing it a long time and we don't want to deal with it. And we've covered it up and packaged it in such a way as we pretend it's not sin. It could be that we really just don't realize we're sinning. And David had to know he was sinning. We know from Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, it was wasting him away from within. But we need to recognize whatever the cause, whatever the context, we can often not recognize our sin. So, beloved, pray Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And pray that in a way such as you don't say, well, probably you won't find anything, Lord. But actually, praises, I'm sure you're going to find plenty there, Lord. It's, it's a prayer of self-examination. That's what I want to lead us to today. First of all, to be examining ourselves, to be looking at ourselves, to be willing to recognize the sin in ourselves as we look at the mirror of God's law. Pray to be rescued from your own blindness to your own sins. As we're studying on Wednesday nights for some time with Thomas Watson, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray, deliver us from ourselves, deliver us from our own blindness to ourselves, deliver us from our own blindness to our own sins of thought, word, and deed. By what we do and by what we leave undone. Remember, one of the things Thomas Watson brought up last Wednesday night was the sin of omission. Maybe that's the easiest thing to kind of pretend we're not aware of. The sin of not doing what God commands. 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26, speaks about those, apparently within the church, who oppose themselves... Notice the words oppose themselves. Apparently start to sear their own conscience. Don't listen to their conscience speaking to them about violating God's law. Try to quench 
and grieve the Holy Spirit, it says there are those that oppose themselves and need God to grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth so that they are no longer held captive by the will of Satan. Let us pray that for ourselves. Pray that for yourselves. Lord, help me to recognize the truth about me, things I don't want to look at, I don't want to change. Grant me the ability to humble myself and recognize my sins, that you would deliver me from Satan. Because if I'm choosing to go that route in ignorance or denial, then I'm in those areas serving Satan and not serving Jesus. Those are my only two options. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight that you'll hear again before the Lord's Supper this morning. But let a man examine himself. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, that you don't partake wrongly, not having judged yourself, avoiding judging yourself, and so having to be judged by God that he pulls you out of this world and doesn't let you die with it. Examine yourselves. As Jesus said, before you bother about the speck in your brother's eye, look at and take out the beam in your own. And the truth is, you and I major on the speck in the other eye. We do. It's easier. And we justify ourselves. But actually we're just condemning ourselves when we're not taking out the beam in our own eye. Examine yourselves. Look in the mirror. Look at your own eyes. Look at the look in your eyes. Look at the way your eyes are looking at others. How often are your eyes looking up to the Lord? Examine yourselves. This is not something that the church is training us to do today very much. This is something the world doesn't want you to do at all. Excuse yourselves, maybe. Never examine yourself. Never look at yourself and certainly never admit you're wrong. And if anyone tries to bring out anything against you like Nathan, you take Nathan out. You destroy his reputation. You lie about him and ruin him before the world. Or if it has to be Abigail, so be it. No, we're, we're to respond like David and be broken to begin to examine ourselves, that we can be brought to and enjoy grace and mercy in Christ by being led to him by the law as a schoolmaster to Christ and examine him. Beloved, be about soul searching, but it's more than that or it's nothing. Examine yourself, but ask the Holy Spirit's working in you to bring you to Christ. Be blessed in your Savior who helps you see and saves you from your sins. Beware of your blindness to your own sins, but be blessed in your Savior who helps you see and saves you from your sins. Back to 1 Samuel 25, verses 26 and 34, in particular, I'm drawing from, but the whole story is there. Again, Abigail approaches David so he doesn't come and kill her husband, Nabal, who later God does. David recognizes as he responds to her that it is God who graciously kept him from sinning. He praises her, and I'm sure he praised Nathan. You know, what does David write in the Psalms? Let a, let a just person bring me a rebuke. It'll be a blessing to me. It'll be a good, a good thing to me. And forgive me, I'm paraphrasing loosely. He says to Abigail, 
the Lord God of Israel, which hath kept me back from hurting thee. You know, so Abigail comes to him and he is struck and he comes to his senses and he recognizes if you didn't do this, I would have done this sin. You protected me from sinning, but I was already sinning by planning this, right? But you protected me from worse and more sinning by confronting me. But he also recognizes it was the Lord God of Israel which hath kept me back from hurting thee. And beloved, you and I need to regularly be thanking God for holding us back from where our sins should take us, where they would take us without Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. There but by the grace of God go we. We should be thanking God that he's held us back from what we want to do. And when we have given in to sin that he causes us to grieve and repent like David and be held back from where that was going to take us and what it was going to do to other people. Similarly, Abigail uh, says that she approached David and he recognized her intervention like Nathan's. She also acknowledges to David, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. God held me back. Yes, God held you back. Praise God. He uses means through people confronting one another. But remember, even as we would go uh, to confront others, and as people were going to pray to confront us, pray that God is giving us a heart of repentance, right? I neglected to, uh, to note it, but Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Uh, Deacon Raglan has quoted that verse so many times throughout the years. We need God to show us our secret sins, and we need God to hold us back from our sins. Especially if we're lying to ourselves about them and how they can be working and how Satan can be using that. God and his grace is to be glorified. Regeneration is an act of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit causes us to be awake, raises us from the dead, and lets us trust in Jesus and be justified by faith and be growing in grace. Regeneration is an act of the Holy Spirit, and sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. Even though you cooperate in the latter, it is always you responding to him and cooperating with him, choosing not to grieve and quench him, but bear his fruits by his gracious work and leading in you. But what is your response to be to the Holy Spirit as he works graciously within you? Your response is to repent of your sins. And it's got to include this, receive God's gracious intervention. Not to be like Saul. Oh, well, God doesn't like this, Samuel. I'm going to go out and do this. No, no, no. You just made it worse. And you had that evil spirit building because of it. No, you'd be like David. You say, I sin. And then just humbly receive his grace. Receive the consequences. We're skipping the consequences today, but it includes the death of his son with Bathsheba. And a lot of big problems in his kingdom and a lot of big problems in his household. But receiving his grace as well. Look at verse 13, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's got to be your my response. I have sinned against the Lord. No equivocation. No excusing, no rationalizing. These things we've been studying a lot on Wednesday nights and some sermons related to it from other studies. We just acknowledge, I have sinned against you, Lord. 
just as the man that goes away justified in Christ's parable, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we can hear this response. Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. And what, a, what a glorious, gracious thing to know. It's God who held you back from doing it worse. God is intervening so you don't ruin the whole kingdom. Get the whole kingdom killed and then Christ does not come. It's God who's doing all of this and he's working mercy for the son of David will sit on your throne. Hosanna to the son of David. We're going to preserve you. We're going to preserve your throne. Though he dies, of course, in this life, he will not die now. He will not die in eternity. And so you need to hear that too. After you've said to God, I have sinned against the Lord, hear through the Lord Jesus Christ, the final prophet. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Similar to the woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Satan wants us all wrapped up and never confessing, never turning to the Lord, resisting the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to repentance and renewal as a person and as his people. Keep us all trapped up in that slavery and give no glory to God. Beloved, admit your sin like David and admit God's mercy. And pray David's words of repentance, responding to Nathan, asking God to do a work in him of further sanctification and conversion. And those words are in Psalm 51 that you sang part of today. I want to ask you to turn with me to Psalm 51. I want to look again first at the title in our Bibles, Psalm 51. Look at the title. This is the context. The context is 2 Samuel 12. Nathan confronting him about his sins of adultery, covered it up with murder. And Nathan confronts him for it. And then tells, and David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan says, you will not die. All through Christ, the son of David. Notice the, the title to the text, Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Our story is the context of this psalm, and the psalm is a psalm of repentance. He's not going to hang himself like Judas. He's not trying to go do something else God hasn't commanded or do it right later and make himself right before the Lord like Saul. He's got a heart after God, so he just repents and asks God to do a work with him and I, in him. And I, I want to show you a number of verses, but I want to highlight one, two things really. Notice he confesses his sin. And that it's against the Lord again. But the thing I particularly am highlighting by the verses I select is he asks God to do these things in him. And that has to be what we do. We have to receive God's grace. You shall not die. Live. Live for me. Jesus says, he that is forgiven much loveth much. Live in love. Love is the keeping of his commandments. Because of his grace, do this work in me. Bear your fruit in me, O Lord. 
And as you find yourself convicted of sins, turn to this psalm to confess them and to ask God to do a work of redemption in you. Verses 1 through 3. Notice he's asking God to do these things. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before thee. Notice again, he's acknowledging his sins. He is repenting for what Nathan has brought to him. I've sinned against the Lord, but he's asking God to do a work in him to change him. Verses 7 to 12. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Of course, this is the imagery of those who have washed their robes in the blood of Christ in heaven in Revelation. But notice this, purge me with hyssop. What's he's talking about there? That's the instrument of the priest in the sacramental system in the Old Testament. It was a brush made by a plant, hyssop. And he'd dab it in the blood of the sacrificed animal and sprinkle it on the altar. And it would represent cleansing by God through the sacrifice. He's basically saying, cleanse me with Christ. Cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. And guess what? I'll be clean. I'll be clean. Because God cleanses in Christ. Wash me. I'll be white as snow. I will be, not because of what I do, but because of what you do to me. Including cleansing me from the problems I've brought about in this sin. Cleansing my conscience. Cleansing my way. Cleansing the mess I've created. But notice, he's, he's not asking to be saved. He's speaking as someone who knows the Lord savingly, but has been sinning greatly. And needs to come clean before the Lord, that the Lord would clean him. He's asking God to do these things. You don't do these things yourself. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. In Psalm 32, a parallel psalm, he says, my bones, they just dried up within me because I hadn't been repenting. See, it's a mercy for God to call us to repentance. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Especially verses 10 and 11, I encourage you to have memorized. I probably should say also verse 9. But 10 and 11, have them memorized and let them be your regular prayers, especially your prayers of repenting before God and asking to be restored and strengthened. You, the point of repenting is not that you grovel, but that you grow. It's that, not that you go away from God, but you come back to God and grow in His grace and His means of grace. Restore unto me, verse 12. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Of course, you can see in verse 13, that's why Satan doesn't want you to repent. You'll get right with God, and then the Lord will work through you to bring others to be right with God. He doesn't want that. He wants us all to wallow in sin and misery. 
Look at verses 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. We tend to walk away from it. A lot of times we tend to avoid church, don't we? We start to avoid devotions and personal worship and family worship. But, and of course, the devil doesn't want us to praise God. He doesn't want us enjoying God or praising God, which is our chief end. But when God restores us, he restores our praise to him as our deliverer and savior. He restores our worship and with a happy heart. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalm 25 has similar uh, context. Of, don't remember the sins of my youth, I believe, but also saying uh, the person who is um, humble before God, a broken spirit, that's the one God shares his covenant, shares himself with, reveals himself to. It's not a proud, well, you have to understand, well, I won't do it again, but I'm not going to repent. I don't have to ask for anything. Perish the person who says, I never asked God for forgiveness. And perish the nation who would elect him. If we don't ask God forgiveness, God have mercy on us. If we don't think we need to acknowledge sin and ask for mercy, that's hellish in the way of the devil. And only leads to death and destruction for everyone. Let it start with us. Have mercy on me. I need forgiveness, God. Thank you for giving me a heart that can admit it. Humbly, broken, sorrowful, so I can be saved. So that we can be saved. Admit your sin like David. Receive God's mercy like David. Pray those words like David of Psalm 51. Pray a prayer of Savior examination. You have to have self-examination. Look at and admit and deal with your sins. That's what we saw in our Sunday uh, study Wednesday night. We brought in some of Derek Thomas's article from Our Ancient Foe, the book Our Ancient Foe. And he said one thing is you got to deal with your sin. you got to deal with it. You have the mindset of dealing with it and then a motive to kill it. And then the methods that the scriptures give to do so. Pray a prayer of self-examination and pray a prayer of Savior examination so that you repent and you are changed and you are restored. And pray Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And pray Psalm 19, 13, and 14. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins, and let them have no dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You need to open your eyes. To Jesus, and you need Jesus to open your eyes to see Him and yourself in relation to Him. 
You might recall that John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, in the early chapters, he discusses the best way to know God is to study yourself. And the best way to know yourself is to study God. You are a sinner. Saved in Christ. God alone is your savior. And he convicts and he converts and he delivers you. Glorify his grace. And always be examining yourself. And always be examining your Savior. And beloved, bring that into the Lord's Supper in a few moments. The message for you this morning. Always be examining yourself and your Savior. Beware of your blindness to your own sins. Be blessed in your Savior who helps you see and saves you from your sins. Always be examining yourself and your Savior. May God screw that into our skulls and send us out this week with that. But also with tonight's message, come back for lots of grace and who you are in Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord God in heaven, we do acknowledge our sins before you and they are very great. Lord, we do indeed pray that you would search us, O oh God, and know our heart, try us, know our thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. And we do indeed pray, O oh Lord, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them have no dominion over us. Then shall we be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of our mouth... And the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray, O Lord God, indeed, hide thy face from our sins and blot out all our iniquities. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right spirits within us. Cast us not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation, and uphold us with thy free spirit. In Jesus' name, all your people said, Amen. Beloved with you, uh, prepare with me to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And now it appears I've lost the mic. Do you hear that or no? Okay. I don't know what's happening, but uh, okay. Test. Now I need to get, there seems to be a problem with it going in and out. I don't know if we need a new mic. I may need to check it and see if it's connected properly. We have a great sound guy. If I can't figure it out, I'll get him here this week. Please come back. <laughs> if it gets quiet, I can speak loud. If it turns on, I'll back off a little bit. Sorry for the distraction, but I do want to acknowledge what you're hearing. Uh, we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper together. And uh, we're going to turn in our scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at chapter 10 and chapter 11. We'll start with verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
Hear now the word of the Lord as we prepare and institute the Lord's Supper with his word. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Excuse me, the communion of the blood of Christ and the communion of the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Let's turn ahead to verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but everyone, every man another's wealth. I want you to turn with me now to chapter 11. Beginning with verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Let us pray. O Lord God, we confess our sins before you that they are great and many, and they include sins of presumption, let alone sins of ignorance and secrecy. Lord, call us to repentance at this moment like David. Let us be mindful of the times you have sent Nathans and Abigails to us. And if we haven't, then let us now, O Lord, before you, as we have sinned against you, let us cry out to you. Against you, we have sinned. And we pray that you do work your mercy and grace within us. And let this means of grace be a balm of Gilead. Let it be a, a cleansing medicine from our great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remember that you have paid for our sins as we remember you once and for all. And it is finished and we are forgiven. And you call us to go and sin no more because of who we are in you. 
Lord, we confess that our consciences are heavy with our sins, but we pray as we turn to you in Christ, Lord God, that we serve you with clean consciences, O living God, because you have saved us of our sins in Christ's righteousness on our behalf. Lord, we do cry out over our sins and we are sorrowful for them, but also we rejoice in our salvation and in our Savior and we praise you. And we ask you to bless this bread and wine that we set apart from a common to a holy use. We pray, Lord, that you would remember you have set us apart from this world in it, but not of it. From a common to a holy use as priests and kings of a holy nation. A peculiar people called to be holy because you are holy. Cleanse us and return us to you. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Make us a brighter light this week and a more savory and sustaining salt to the earth. As you work through us, you who are the light of the world, we thank you for the blood of the everlasting covenant. We thank you for the grace of convicting us of sin, converting us in the image of Christ as you bring us to our knees to repent and turn to you for mercy. And to receive it as we do not justify our sins nor ourselves. We examine ourselves before you and we find ourselves in great want. But as we examine you, our Savior, in comparison, we praise you for the great gain of your grace and mercy and righteousness and the gift of everlasting life. Lord, indeed, restore us. And renew our spirits in the spirit of Christ. As we partake of these means of grace, let they be effectual to your elect and a witness to all. And Lord, may you bring new waves of mercy and deliverance to us. In 